0: Lonely Monk Productions I don't know if y'all have heard Around the Christmas Tree by G-Love yet but yo That's my joy! That's my joy. Hey yo, displace the What's good, friends and family, neighbors, near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast, the podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. John Cougar Mellencamp, a.k.a. Nate the Great, a.k.a. John Luke Godard, a.k.a. the guy in the horror film who always says to his dog, what are you barking at? There's nothing out there. Shortly before being impaled by the unstoppable killing machine, a.k.a. Nate 3.0, Back at it again with another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. How we doing, gang? In a little bit, I'm joined by Keith Marlowe of the band The Miners. Keith has been a force in the Philly music scene dating back to the 80s, and I am so glad that we got to sit down to chat. And that's coming up in a little bit. Well, how was everyone's Thanksgiving? Have we all awakened from our tryptophan-induced comas? Are we turkeyed out? Mine was pretty great, thanks for asking. Though, you know, there was one moment that has been living in my head that I just can't shake. So, let me paint you a picture. Imagine me, surrounded by loved ones, snuggled up early in the day to catch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's a staple. The balloons. The floats the badly lip sync performances of pop stars, old and new. I love it all. It is Thanksgiving to me. It's a happy place. But then, it happened. We're all chatting during a commercial break, and I caught it just out of the corner of my line of sight, right there on the TV. My eyes went wide, and I couldn't find the specific words that I wanted to use in mixed company, and I made eye contact with my girlfriend's dad, and he goes, Holy crap, did you see that? And I did. I did see that. I saw the ad for Jimmy Fallon's new NBC show, That's My Jam. Yeah, that's my jam? Come on, talk about a Thanksgiving kick in the nards. Well, okay, sure, That's My Jam. We'll probably never be confused with Yo, That's My John. But man, that's a bummer. I will say this, though. Our logo, it kicks the crap out of theirs. But yeah, Thanksgiving is now behind us, and we have been immediately jettisoned directly into the tis the season time of the year. Well, we took a break at this time last year, but I'm feeling festive, and I think we'll continue to have episodes throughout the holidays. Specifically, we will be doing another In the Basement with Nate live stream ukulele sing-along. And we'll release that here as a podcast as well, along with some selections from last year's stream. So keep an eye out for a date and time on the Yo That's My John Facebook page. My guest today got his start in the Philly music scene as the guitar player and founding member of the band Tornado 5, sharing the stage with greats like former guest John Faye and his band The Beat Clinic and indie legends Yola Tango. In 2007, he started the alt country outfit The Miners. Armed with country infused guitar and pedal steel originals, and influenced by acts like Uncle Tupelo, Graham Parsons, and Merle Haggard, The Miners have just released their long awaited first full length album, Maguntacook, featuring 10 songs brilliantly written by my guest. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show Keith Marlowe. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Keith Marlowe of the Miners. Keith, thank you for joining us today on Yo, That's My John. Hi, thanks for having me. So, um, you know, I kind of was just telling you before we started this, I've kind of been mainlining uh, your your album, your recent uh, release, uh, Moguntakuk. Close? Am I close? Yeah, that was, yeah, better?
1: Think, that yeah, was better. That was better. That was good. Yep.
0: Um, it's it's really really amazing. Uh, I'm I'm an alt country guy, so it's really like right up right up my alley, almost made for me. Um, so um, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit, but just to get started, okay. kind of tell these uh tell these fine folks a little bit about yourself. Where did where did you grow up?
1: Um, so uh, I'm a Philly area guy. Grew up um, mostly in Elkins Park, uh, which is a suburb of Philly like just north of, uh, really the city line, um, like Cheltenham Avenue. Okay. And, um, and so been here really my whole life. I, uh, I actually went to Temple for, for college. Although I, st- I started at Pitt for a year and then transferred, but ended up graduating Temple. Um, and before that, obviously graduated high school. I went to Cheltenham High School, um, and, um, Then played in bands beginning, you know, in the Philly music scene kind of beginning in the late 80s, around sort of 87. Um, And then uh, took some time off, but then now I'm leading this band called The Miners, which is what the album you were talking about. And I think is probably what we'll be talking about a little bit.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So when you were a little kid in Elkins Park, uh, what kind of music was like playing around the house? What were your 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 parents listening to and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah,
1: so I was a I was a uh, you know, I, I I was born in the late 60s, so I was really a product of the 70s. Um and f- for me, a lot of that, well there was a lot of music in my house cuz my father is a concert pianist. So Oh, fantastic. Uh, so you know, there was always music in in my house. Um, classical, but also my father was a big Beatles fan. And oh, in fact, okay. He was somewhat famous, um, especially when he was younger. He had an identical twin brother known as the uh, Marlowe Twins. And they were, when they were in their, you know, early teens, they were performing on like the Milton, Milton Berle show and the Tonight Show and things like that. So... Um, so there's always music, um, and they actually did a, one of their albums was like classical versions of Beatles songs. So that, that's where sort of the Beatles piece comes in. But, um, I always say, I really like my exposure to music was like, my mom would drive me to school because, um, I went to a private school, Germantown Friends, and she worked there. And we would listen to AM radio, um, driving to school and, AM radio in the 70s was very different. I mean, today everything's segmented, right? Like, you know, I mean, whatever you listen to, whether it's Spotify or Sirius XM, I mean, you know, there's a specific channel for a specific type of music. Right. Or there's, you know, these playlists for this type of music. It was just like free free for all. I mean, you know, you'd listen to the I mean, you know, Kiss would come on with Beth and then ABBA. And then you would hear like Glen Campbell and then there'd be, you know, Donna Summer. I mean, they, you know, it was just like everything. So you really got exposed. Like, I feel like I got exposed kind of to all different types of music. It wasn't just like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting and listening to country music all the time or I'm listening to, to rock. I mean, I obviously eventually got my own tastes. Um that evolved. But um, my early exposure was really kind of to, you know, to a lot of different things. And then, you know, there was definitely a heavy Beatles influence.
0: Yeah, you know it's 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 really funny, and I, and I don't know if it's like there's a a certain window of age, but I feel like you know there's a good core of uh, a lot of us who, um, because of that early exposure to so much, have such a well-rounded kind of appreciation for music that that you know, like you said doesn't necessarily exist anymore it is so segmented and stuff like that i do i do kind of miss those days and wax nostalgic about them because like i you know i'm i'm the same way you know my dad listened to reggae and motown and rock and and soul and just it, it was just you know i i didn't really understand genre um growing up at all you know it was almost like a uh, a forced construct if you will but
1: yeah and even you know like I mean, I was watching MTV on day one, but, you know, that was like a whole nother thing, right? Like opened up, I mean, obviously early there, the types of music that they have was less limited, but, um, but not for me because it was exposing me to a lot of music and bands and, and that I've never even heard of. And all of a sudden I'm like, wow, you know, and that kind of moved me more into sort of like, you know, the new wave and alternative I, you know, I, I use the term alternative and I I don't know if (laughs) we used to call it like college radio rock or something, you know, or back then. So, and then like, I kind of, when I use alternative, I sort of think of more of sort of the modern alternative, you know, I guess it was more like like indie rock, you would call it today, but um, you know, it was sort of that post-punk new wave. But then you also you know MTV was showing like metal bands right like Iron Maiden and you know uh, I didn't really know know any of that and but you know I I liked it enough to listen to it I mean right. I became a metal head but you
0: know <laughs> so um so your dad's playing piano are you are you picking up an instrument early on is that is that kind of imparted on you or is that yeah, something um,
1: you know I uh, so I I wanted to play an instrument and my father said you have to take two years of piano and then you can choose whatever instrument you want other than drums because he <laughs> didn't want to have drums in the house. yeah um and I really went to play guitar so I took I took lessons with my father for two years and then then I picked up a guitar I think somebody gave us a guitar and then started taking some lessons and then really kind of you know, getting books and doing a lot of learning on my own. I mean, there was no YouTube back then. So, you know, it was books. Um, There wasn't even really much video instruction that early on. Um, A lot of it was you listen to records and you figure things out by by listening and playing and that's how you learn. And then there was sheet music. That was the other piece.
0: Yeah. Did it, did it come naturally to you? Did, or did you have to work, work hard um, for it?
1: Yeah. You know, the ear thing did come pretty naturally. I mean, one of the things and, and the one of the ways I sort of got myself into my very first band in high school was um, they were looking for a, a, replacement and they brought me in and, you know, I could play the songs well enough. And they had another guy that was kind of a band leader that was sort of dictating the songs that we were going to play. And then I was, came in and I said, you know, why don't we play this song? You know, I can, you know, I figured it out and they're like, Oh, you can, you know, you can figure out songs too. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I listen to them and I, I, I figure out, you know, the chords and I, you know, and, and the lead parts and things like that. And that ultimately kind of, Got the other guy out because oh, they didn't really like the material he was bringing, and they like, and they were like, "Oh, let's do this." You know, I mean, we were listening to a lot of different stuff. It's a lot of police rush. Um, I mean, those were definitely the heaviest influences. But then we'd mix in, you know, Clash and you know whatever was on the radio, or really like a lot of the MTV stuff. Um, it was pretty broad, you know, like what we would cover. But it, yeah, definitely that that piece of it. You know, like the ear, you know. Yeah. Part of it did come come naturally.
0: Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you know those <clears throat> kind of first high school bands or whatnot. Uh, what type What type of show were you like playing shows or was this like a uh, jam in a basement kind of thing? Uh,
1: or? you know, it started out jam in a basement, and then like somebody'd have a party that we play, or we would, <laughs> you know, decide to ha- that somebody would have a party so that we could play at it. Um, or then you know we you know the high school made I have we you know we did a high school dance they had like about all the bands it was that kind of thing you know we were never playing in in clubs or venues um, at that point and it it was all covers um, pretty much and you know up until sort of like the very end of high school yeah Um, but we were um, you know again sort of running through the list of, of stuff, you know, you know, we would play, we do like rainbow songs and uh, you know, some, some metal stuff. Like I I love Richie Blackmore and people like that, you know, so it was a, it was a real mix. I wasn't so much into, you know, I didn't, I didn't kind of get more into that real alternative stuff until probably I went to college. And then I really kind of started to shift away and kind of hone in on, you know, back then, which was more of, you know, like the, you know again, college radio, a lot of the jangly guitar stuff, yeah,
0: yeah, the good stuff as I like to call yeah. it uh, that's, yeah. uh, that's that's uh also where my wheelhouse is what um what was kind of the uh the pied piper to that what 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 was it that drew you um when you started
1: well the real again m t v was some exposure, but the real the real thing um for me was when I went. My first year of school, I went to college, I went to Pitt and I worked, um, in this place that was called the language lab. And it was like, basically back then you had to, um, when you learned a language, there was these like recorded tapes. So, so if you were in the class, you brought a blank cassette to the language lab and we had all these like things on reel to reel tapes. And we would make dupes for you. So that was like my job. But the guy that ran it, actually, was like a drummer in a punk band and listened to like the, you know, was constantly listening to the, what I I don't even know what the station was, but really it was like the college radio station then. So, you know, all of a sudden I'm hearing some of the stuff, you know, that I'd heard on MTV, um, you know, Tainted Love and stuff like that. But then I'm hearing bands like the Hoodoo Gurus, a lot of REM, like... And, and so my bandmates at home, the ones from college or from high school, I'm sorry, we, you know, we still kind of had our band going and we were starting to write original songs. And I, I think I remember coming home from winter break, and I'm saying, you know, this is what we're doing. Like, y- you guys got to listen to this stuff. Yeah. And we're going to start to like, try and like write songs in this vein. And, and that really kind of just like was the shift.
0: Okay, Okay. So, so that band stayed together through um, through Pitt?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, only, I ended up going to Pitt for one year, because uh, I went out for engineering and realized that that wasn't for me, and I had some other stuff going on at home, and my girlfriend was at Delaware, who's actually my wife, so uh, oh. that worked out well. Um, and so I ended up coming home and transferring to Temple after my first year in and then graduated from Temple. So.
0: Okay. What What did you uh, study at Temple? Still engineering? Uh, economics. Or?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I shifted. Uh, I I knew after one semester that there was too much math and science involved
0: but you you kept it in the alphabet you stayed in the e's so yeah, it, it makes sense <laughs>
1: that's a good good observation i didn't yeah. think of it that way but. yeah you know you just
0: uh, turned a page and uh, and there and there it was so you guys are starting to to write stuff um can you can you kind of pinpoint in your mind when um it started to click like did you did you guys have like a sound at a certain point where it was less um kind of um, a popery or
1: yeah i mean the earliest songs you know we started writing at the end of high school um, me and and the bass player who, you know, was with me through, I mean, from the first band I was in, you know, through that that early um, 80s band late, or late 80s band, early 90s band called Tornado 5. Um, he still sometimes subs for the minors. So, um, and we started writing some songs and, you know, definitely the early stuff was like listening to police and trying to do some of that stuff more of that kind of stuff. Um, but then once we, um, you know, started shifting our sound, you know, then we started to try to write more of like, you know, stuff that was, I, you know, I would definitely say more jangly, more in, in the vein of the bands that we were listening to that were sort of this, you know, college radio indie rock. And we were a trio. Um, so the bass player sang... Um, but then we ultimately decided that we wanted that we wanted to get, add a fourth member, and we wanted a singer. So we so we we added uh, a member, and it ended up being a female. And um, and that sort of was when we really kind of we had some songs on our own, you know, this group. But then she came in, we started writing new songs, and we kind of just shifted the the thing. And that's when that's when sort of we really kind of you know broke into the Philly club scene and started playing.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, uh, when you, when, when she comes in, does that kind of affect your songwriting or do you, or do you kind of? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it did because first of all, she was, she was really like, well, she wrote all the lyrics. That was the first thing. Um, I was really kind of the person that wrote the music. Like I came up with the music, musical ideas, um, you know, we would sort of jam on it, come up with ideas. Then she would like take lyrics and start kind of singing over, you know, what we had written. And so, so the process, the process changed and then the sound, you know, I mean, it evolved. It started sort of as this base of the types of things that we were doing before she got into the band. And then as she got in the band, we, we really, our sound definitely started to, to shift, um, You know, having a female lead singer, you know, where I'm playing a, you know, a black Rickenbacker 360. And, you know, I mean, we just got like the first early comparisons. Obviously, we were like 10,000 Maniacs, right? Like that was the easy one. But, you know, we definitely started to move harder. We kind of we love the early pretenders, um, you know, especially those first two albums and, and that EP, you know, with the original lineup and then and then we actually really kind of started to shift more like and get a little i'd say weirder and get more into like a throwing muses kind of sound and 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 that kind of thing so um
0: was it um were you approaching it still as were well i guess let me kind of reframe this uh did you ever approach it as a hobby or was it something could was it always something that you knew that you wanted to kind of focus on was it was it always kind of the love well
1: back no i mean ba- in, back then we were trying to you know we were trying to make it like yeah. know, we were trying to get signed we were trying to um you know if we could tour um we never really went on you know we did play new york we played cbgb's we played places like that kenny's castaways um so you know so it was all sort of like you know, within a couple hours of Philly, um, yeah. You know, we had we had a couple op, you know, opportunities where we could have gone to to some places, but we just could never get it together. Um, and then we never, you know, really got like a release that was going to. You know, we never put anything out at that time on record. Yeah. Um, before we we were ready to, but then we broke up. So oh no. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. You know, so so this is still all pre uh, Tornado Five.
1: No, this is all. Oh, this is, this is the. Torn- oh, okay, yeah, okay this okay. is Tornado Five. Yeah, it okay. started. The band was originally called the Unmentionables, um, which was the what we were as a three piece, and then when we added the singer, we 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 stayed with that name. And then there was like another band in like Central or North Jersey that was the Unmentionables, and like we were we were playing some of the same venues. So, gotcha so they contacted us and we we're like like we're not that wed to the name and we ended up coming up with this name tornado five which i mean i'm happy to tell you the story if you want. yes i would love
0: to because i'm 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 quite perplexed how four members become a five yeah.
1: well that that was that was always one of, <laughs> so people say yeah, why are you tornado five there's only four of you um so at the time we were trying to come up with names and and our, our singer was an artist. She uh, went to, what was it called back? University of the Arts, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's still called that. I think it is. Um, and um, and so we were like, I remember we were sitting around trying to come up with a name and we probably had ordered out and gotten cheesesteaks or something. And, you, you know, you get these paper bags, right? Like that the cheesesteaks come in and there was this bag. It was a white bag and you know there's always a name on it and then there's a number which represents sort of like the weight of the bag so the bag was tornado and then it it said 5 at the triangle around it which looked exactly like document from REM REM yeah sure so and we were like ah, tornado 5 there's the name and i that's like how it i got the name.
0: That's awesome. I, I, I and, especially... then, and then
1: she left. Just, sorry, just then oh, no, she left. And we continued as a three piece and we changed the name to Tornado Sex. Just to people <laughs> <even more. So. laughs> That's the best. That's the best. Uh, all I was
0: going to say was I, I got to appreciate that it came from a cheesesteak bag, too, because yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it keeps it it keeps it very on brand uh, of the area. Um, so at that time, you're kind of you said you were kind of playing around and stuff like that. Uh, prior to hitting record here, we were talking about, you had, um, played, uh, some shows with, uh, John Fay. Uh, what other kind of bands were kind of around, um, the scene at that time?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was a, it was a good scene back then, but you know, there was a lot less opportunities to play, like as far as venues. Um, but the, the scene was very tight. I mean, there's a lot of camaraderie. Like we played with a lot of the same bands. Um, Flight of Mavis, which became Buzz Um, You know, the Wishniaks, I don't know if you know them. Napalm Sunday. Um, you know, Electric Love Muffin was sort of in the scene with us. Um, you know, there, there was a host of other bands too. Naked Twister, Red Herring. I don't, I don't know if you know any of these names, but... Some of them um,
0: sound, sound familiar. Others sound um, completely made up on the spot. Uh no, yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: yeah, they could be. As far <laughs> no, as, I'm know. just kidding. <laughs> but um, you know, there I mean it was the scene was was there was a segment to the scene in that there was there was this sort of like alternative, you know, I guess indie group. And then there was sort of like the other group, which was kind of the bands that were managed by the same people that were, you know. Managing like the Hooters and Tommy Conwell, like the ones that sure. really broke. I mean, there are obviously some a few bands like Dead Milkman and, you know, Ben Vaughn, like that that kind of broke out of the of the Philly scene, but it just didn't really have you know, and I I've talked about this before, we it didn't have sort of like the cachet that like in Athens, Georgia, a Boston, um, you know, Austin, Texas. I mean, you know, obviously North, you know, North Carolina had had bands, you know, DBs and and some bands come out of there cuz you had sort of Mitch Easter Studio down there. And then you know, and and I'm not sure exactly why that was, but there were a lot of really good bands with really good music. They just couldn't didn't seem to just like
0: I don't I think Next. there was like
1: a lack of maybe I I, I this is just my view. I think it was like a lack of like a strong indie label that was based in Philly that had really good distribution because these other cities, either they had a band that broke out of and then everybody kind of came and, yeah. and and looked at the other bands or they had like a strong label. I mean like a little later, obviously you ended up with like, well, Minneapolis, right? Like you had Twin Tone. Um you know, later you had Seattle and, and you know, Sub Pop, Sub and all Pop that, yeah. you know, labels like that. Like there there, there wasn't any of that in Philly. That I think that was, to me, was like the biggest reason why more of these bands didn't get, you know, bigger recognition. And when I say bigger, I'm talking about like enough that they could tour nationally. And, sure. you know, I mean, I don't know what was successful. Probably selling like 5,000 records or something maybe was a big success. I, you know, I, I don't know. To me, though, like for us, we we ended up playing with a lot of these bands that we really loved because we played, I mean, every month we played J.C. Dobbs and Kyber Pass. And mm-hmm. J.C. Dobbs, it was often opening for whoever was touring. So, you know, we would get put on bills. You know, we opened for the Blake Babies, which is Juliana Hatfield's band. Sure. Yola Tango. Um, there's a band from Boston called Big Dipper that we loved, um, you know, the Wild Seeds from, um, Austin, Texas. I mean, these, these bands were, um, you know, bands that like we were buying their albums and we loved them, you know, so it was awesome. You know, my, I mentioned Napalm Sunday, they opened for Nirvana at Dobbs, you know, um, you know, so it was, it was fun. And, you know, but a lot of these shows, like you would, you know, sometimes these shows, it would be, you know, my friends from Napalm Sunday were the ones right. in the audience, and that was that was it. Or, you know, like, but all the bands seemed to support each other. I mean, we were in college, so, you know, we would go out on the tuesday night and thursday night or whatever
0: yeah you know i it's you know just kind of speaking of that scene and even kind of the resurgence that had a few years ago i miss jc dobbs so much like i it was just such a perfect room to be you know packed in and and sweaty and and, and watch yeah. good good live music um yeah, so i spent
1: a lot of time there
0: yeah i I, I bet i bet so uh, so you guys kind of um go your separate ways what uh musically where do you head next after that
1: so musically for me i i really kind of so after our singer left we we continued as a three-piece which was basically back to our high school but we were we're definitely more like getting into like the Dinosaur Jr. kind of sound. Okay, yeah. Um, so we, we continued for about two years. Um, and then I actually went off to law school. Um, but And I ended up going to Dickinson, which is in Carlisle. And one of the reasons I decided I didn't want to stay in Philly was I was afraid I was going to be kind of drawn but to keep playing and be distracted. But then, of course, when I'm in law school, I ended up like, playing in a cover band in law school and and staying with music. And, and, and then I really wasn't in the music, the Philly music scene or really doing anything with, with music like publicly for about 10 years. Okay. But I was always writing and recording during that period. Um, So, you know, I, I kept at it. um, And, you know, I started writing songs that I, sang. Um, and I've always been, you know, recording whether it's four track cassette or then, you know, a track wrote a real kind of had a home studio. And so sometimes I'd get people to come over and, you know, lay down tracks or sometimes I'd do it all on my own with a drum machine or whatever it was. But, um, you know, I'd started to record, you know, batches of songs on my own. Uh, um, yeah. so during that time that Um, gap
0: do so so whatever like did you ever do any of those did any of those songs kind of make any transition into anything when you got back into it yeah
1: yeah so i guess now i can get to the yeah the beginning of the minors um so the minors was formed by accident um i i say i mean it was there was it wasn't i wasn't looking to get into a band but um a friend of mine who played in another band back in that scene we were talking about. Um, his name is Matt McGuire and he was in a band called the Bensons. He was play, he had played maybe one or two acoustic shows um, where he was singing some of his own songs. And, and he asked me to like join him and play the next one. He, hey, you know, can you play, play guitar? And, and we had done some things in the past together. and We actually had written a song. I had written a song that he, that he came in and helped on and ended up writing the lyrics and, and vocal line. And um, so, so he's, you know, he's like, we can do some of, the, you know, these songs that we did together, you know, and I had started to write some songs. He's like, I know you have a couple songs. We could do some of those. And so we started like rehearsing as a duo. And then somehow we got a gig, um, but it was going to be like more of a full band situation. So he's like, hey, we, you know, forget the, the acoustic thing. I got us this gig. We're going to put the band together. I already got a bass player and a drummer. Um, and I, something didn't happen. Like the drummer didn't work out. So I ended up bringing in my old drummer from high school and tornado five. And, and that's how, and, 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 and so this is all going to, this is six, you know, everything revolves around John Faye Right. So, oh, yeah <laughs> so we had this gig. It was at some bar up in like skip Back, and, we had all these people that were going to come because we hadn't played in years. And, and um, the place like closed down two weeks before. No way. We were supposed to play our first gig. So, so I was like, all right, well, we have a band, we have, we have like, you know, a set and we have like a good number of people that were going to come out to see us. I'm like, I don't know. Like, we got to, you know, they're like, well, we should get a gig. I'm like, I don't know. I've been out of this music scene here for 15 years. I don't know how to get, get a gig. I was like, but I do know one person who's still in the scene, John Fay." So John and I reconnected because he actually lived only a few blocks from me. And um, our kids actually went to preschool together.
0: Oh, um, small world. So I
1: called John up and I said, hey, John, you know, you know, actually three of the four people in this band. So you know we're not going to be an embarrassment. And all I can tell you is that we're going to bring out, like, I don't know how many people, but a lot of people who have a lot of disposable income and will drink a lot. Can, you know, can you get us a gig? And he's like, well, we're playing at what was the Grape Street, I guess it was called. Yep. Not not the original where it is now, back Oh, when it was on. Yeah, whatever, the the one that got flooded. Yep. You know. Yeah. um, And um, he's like, we're playing on this bill there's three bands, but I can see if maybe they can put you on at the front. And I said, well, that's great. Like, you know, seven o'clock on a Friday night, like we can get people to come for happy hour. Yeah. And, and so that was like our first gig. We br- I think we brought in like over 90 people or something. It was like, you know, <laughs> really six. Su- and, and that's how the band started.
0: That's um, unbelievable.
1: But I wasn't the original re- lead singer at that time. It was, it was Matt. And I was I was singing a couple songs um, that I had written, and and a couple of these songs were songs that were written during that ten year period. I I really was into the all country thing, and I started sure. writing songs in that vein. And I was like, hey, here's a here's a couple um, that I've written. I think will work. Um, the he he was more into like kind of I would say Brit power pop stuff, you know, um, Nick Lowe kind of stuff. So his songs tended to lean more towards that. Mine probably leaned a little more on the countryside, side. Um, but he was, you know, he was singing, I, I was singing, you know, two or three songs and he was singing all the rest. So.
0: Where, um, where, so where did the, uh, for you um, prior to this, where did the entry point into alt country come for you? Um, was it the same um, as the rest of his Uncle Tupelo or?
1: Uh? Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> a, a little before that, because I'll go back to, again, kind of like the, early MTV stuff and and that kind of college rock in the like mid to late 80s. I mean, there were bands like, do you know Longriders, for instance? Sounds
0: familiar. Um, but
1: So, like, you know, like they were really doing like alt country, bef- you know, and then you had like Jason and the Scorchers and, mm-hmm. and bands like that that were, you know, I mean, I know everybody pegs out Uncle Tupelo, but if you kind of go back and there was a lot of bands that had like country, like, you know, tinges to them. Sure. Reformers. Even R- yeah,
0: even some uh, of that REM has, you know, well,
1: I, yeah. I mean, we actually cover, you know, Rockville. Don't go back to Rockville. Yeah. Pedal Steel in it. I mean, you know, and I always say, I was like, this is a country song. Yeah. And, and that, you know, REM to me was, they were a huge influence on me. Um But, they they really influenced me also to get deeper into country because I would listen to interviews, you know, and Michael Stipe would say, they'd ask Michael Stipe, who's your biggest influence? He'd say, oh, Buck Owens. I'm like, oh, Buck Owens. I'm going to go buy Buck Owens records, like mm-hmm. dig through the bins. and f- So then I started listening to that. I mean, the other thing is like, I get the question and we go back to the, your AM radio uh, discussion, but, you know, you know oh, you know, when did you start listening to country? I always, like, you know, I knew you in high school, you were listening to Rush and The Police, and I'm like, well, I grew up on AM radio, and Glenn Campbell, you know, would come on the radio, and I listened to him, or or whoever, you know, Willie Nelson, you know. So I I had exposure, I just wasn't deep into it, and then I always just appreciated, even in Tornado 5, like, some of these bands that had country flavorings, and we'd have a couple things, like, I can pull up songs and I'm like, you know, hear like little country licks I'm throwing in, or we, you know, we had one song that was almost like a cowpunk type of song. So um, you, you, there was definitely, you know, it was around. And then obviously when, you know, Uncle Tupelo and then, and, and those bands kind of came that really, I was like, Oh, I love this. I, I've been kind of listening to this, you know, for the last five years, but now there's like a whole scene dedicated to it and and a bunch of records coming out and then that i think when i was as i was writing on my own i was definitely kind of you know getting more into listening to country even like i was de- i was deeper listening in you know old time country because i think at that time i started to get a little like i wasn't that enamored with like the the sort of what was popular music even in sort yeah. of the the alternative space outside of the, uh, you know, other, I mean, there are a few things like I love pavement and, and things like that, but um, so I, I kind of was like, started to go deep and, you know, dig into kind of old country records and really listening to that. So it was just like kind of all that stuff kind of came and kind of pushed me into, into that. And then you, you know, I'm writing music and it's, I always say, I'm like, I don't care what anybody says, you know, you, you're influenced by what you listen to, you know, and then definitely. it's how you how you make it your own. But you know, some people wear their influences, you know, on their sleeves like real blatantly, and sure. some people disguise them. But you know, everybody's everybody's in nobody's doing anything really original, right? Like you're definitely, just, everybody's copying everybody else. Yes, yeah. to some. <laughs> Right.
0: It's the, it's the, it's, it's my favorite quote from, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the movie Almost Famous, but, um, yeah. no when, problem. uh, when, uh, Lester Bangs asked the question, um, if, if, uh, if Bowie's doing Lou and Lou's doing Bowie, isn't Lou just doing Lou? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, it always cracked me up i always love that i always stuck that so you guys play that um awesome uh grape room show um and you know you you've got you've got your following that has kind of followed both i'm I'm sure everybody from from the scene kind of coming back um what happens that you end up taking over uh the vocals
1: yeah so um so the band was was this was about two years into the band we've been we'd been playing some shows. I mean, we, you know, we played like 10 angel and, um, I think we played a couple of shows back at the grape room again. And, uh, you know, a couple other shows. And then Matt, the lead singer decided he didn't really want to play shows. Like he didn't want to, you know, lug equipment around and do all the stuff at, and, and so I said, well, you know, I'm kind of having fun doing this again. Um, and Andy, Shahan, who was my drummer from way back, who was still in the band, you know, he was still into it. And so I said, Look, I'm going to try and, you know, I'm already singing a few songs. I'm going to try and, you know, write more songs and take over fronting the band. Um, And this was the first band I've ever fronted. I never, I never fronted a band before. I was always a guitarist, maybe sang a little here and there, but never fronted a band. Um, So, but I said, you know, I definitely want to take it more in like the country, the all country space, you know, into the, into that sound. So I, um, I said, you know, I, I, we need to find another guitar player, but I'd really love to find a pedal steel guitar player. And there was a guy um, who I knew who played guitar in another band, but he was learning pedal steel and, and I asked him if he was interested in playing with us. And he said, yeah, you know, he's like, I'll play guitar with you. And I said, well, I'd love you if, if you would play pedal steel. And he's like, well, you know, I'm just learning. I'm not that good, you know, but so we had a few rehearsals with him playing guitar. And and then he calls me up. He's like, you know, I like the stuff, but I, I kind of think I want to use this as an outlet to play pedal steel guitar. And I'm like great that's what, I, want like, to do that's to do what I wanted place. yeah <laughs> so so we had pedal steel and then um the we we've had we had like a, you know more bass players than spinal tap drummers um <laughs> so but um you know the original bass player ended up leaving and replaced it with somebody else but then then we started going out as you know this band with me fronting it writing writing all the songs and um you know and with the lineup the instrumentation that still exists today
0: yeah when you
1: those members
0: sure when you um so when you start writing you know you take over um does does your writing change or you know uh not to springboard ahead too far but or Mm -hmm. um but you know uh this album has a lot of very personal um kind of uh songs on it um were you kind of writing that stuff when you were writing for other people, or or did that come out from?
1: Well, as far as writing music with with lyrics, I've never written for anybody else. Oh, okay. I've, I've only written for myself. So, so you know, the lyrics, even so, there's actually one song on on Magana Cook that was written in two thousand and eight that was oh. that was kind of you know pre i mean i guess that was in the first year of the miners formation before i was running the band um and i think we actually did that song performed it once with the old the old singer but i i probably sang it live um and and so you know i've i always have written songs for me um but i wasn't necessarily singer like i you know, I could record and record my vocals, but I never was like really writing to think that I'd be performing these songs live necessarily. Yeah. So, so that, so that changed. Um, And then, you know, once I really was like, all right, well, I got, I got to, you know, I'm writing songs and I'm writing lyrics now, you know, Um, what am I going to write about? It's always easy for me to write about things Say for a few, few diff. There's a couple songs where they're not sort of personal experiences or something that I've come up, you know, that's happened to me. But um, I, I just sort of write. I get. I th- I find that's the easiest thing. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. There's so there. You know. There's a bit of um a bit of distance between um the the first EP that you know you guys did, and then um Maganda Cook I it. I'm I'm right there. It's coming. It's coming. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, What, 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 what was uh, that duration? Like, what what, were you guys, were you guys playing? You guys were still playing during that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, we, we were playing, um, you know, we were playing live. I mean, we don't play, we're not, we play about six shows a year. Okay. We, we, we don't play, you know, that much. Some of the reason is everybody's working. That's in the band. um, And, I just find that, you know, if we played three times a month, we couldn't get anybody to come. I mean, right? you know, and we're we're a little bit picky. Like, we, we try not to play weeknights because we know we can't get people out. I mean, you know, we're all, you know, r- the, the band members are from, like, the late 30s to, you know, like, early 60s. So it's like, you know, everybody's kind of, you know, either has kids or, you know, is, is sort of even... Kids in college and that from, – from young kids to – so it's really hard to, to get people to come out on a Tuesday night unless, like, we're opening for a, a touring act or something downstairs at World Cafe. Like, that's – Right. You know, or if somebody said, hey, you know, we were playing these um, country nights that at one point were going on at Bob and Barbara's on, like, I think it was a Wednesday night. You know, you don't have to bring anybody. There's, like, people are just going to come. Yeah, that's fine like you know somebody asked us to play a gig I was like look we'll play you know Wednesday night wherever but I'm just gonna let you know we I can't guarantee you we could bring one person out so if you want us to still play that gig we'll do it but you know I I want to be honest with you know the the promoters and the club club owners about what you know we could deliver um versus sure so that's what but during that time we were playing um live um there was a lot of lineup changes in the band uh we did put out one single um which was a cover we started doing demos for mcgunna cook like songs that would end up on mcgunna cook and out of out of the first sessions we did a cover of um a song called miller's cave um which is a it's really a country classic it's been covered by a lot of people um the version we sort of based it on because we were doing it live was um, the International Submarine Band, which was Graham Parsons' first band. Yeah. Um, on their album, he, they do a cover of Miller's Cave, so this is sort of a loose cover of a cover of a cover, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, um, so, and then, and and so that that was sort of during that gap we were playing live done a little recording, but a lot of it was just me trying to get like the, the lineup solidified and get people into the studio that, yeah. I mean, that's part of the delay. I mean, I do constantly like my, my own going joke is that, you know, Cook has taken longer than Boston's third album <laughs> so, um, yeah. to, to to complete. And, you know, the album itself from start to finish, you know from the demo from demos till till we actually released it probably took you know 3 3 plus years um but a, again a lot of the, like I started thinking about doing the follow up probably in 2015 or 2016
0: okay okay um so i guess you when did you record this because there was uh i I don't know if you know this or not but there was this global pandemic that occurred yeah Uh, yeah, uh, (laughs) Yeah.
1: i I heard about that yeah um so we started recording it um pre-pandemic okay um the pandemic definitely had an impact on the process and and on the you know ultimately the release date um but we fortunately got so the the album was recorded in two places really. Um it was all the basic tracks other than two songs and all the mixing was done at Milk Boy, the studio. Yeah. Um and then all the overdubs and the last two two tracks, basic tracks, were done in my home studio in the oh, awesome. basement that you're seeing me in, actually. Um and um so We fortunately had all the basic tracks completed um, for um, the songs that were done at Milk Boy. We were mixing, basically, I had had all the overdubs completed for, I think it was four or five songs, like the first batch of songs. So we were in the process of mixing those songs, and then I was starting to do overdubs on the second half. Um, and then there was sort of two songs that ended up getting kind of recorded at the end. Um, and um, and then when the pandemic hit, like it sort of stopped the mixing because I was going into the studio to mix and then the yeah. studio shut down. And so basically there was like a, a good gap, I would say of six months that we could not mix the record. And then I was... Like a lot of the overdubs are me because it's vocals. I do all the guitar work. So, but I needed my pedal steel player to come in or I needed somebody to come in and do background vocals or my drummer to come in and do percussion. And, you know, obviously there's a hesitancy to to kind of do that. Sure. Until probably like, I think in the summer of whatever it was, 2020, you know, who who knows what time. (laughs) Yeah. you know, that, that I think we got comfortable. I'm like, all right, you know, come in, we can wear masks or whatever, because we actually were starting to, we played a show, an outdoor show, like for a a community concert series Mm -hmm. in the summer of 2020 that wasn't canceled. Um, It was in a huge space where people could spread out. And so we started rehearsing for that, you know, wearing masks in my basement. I mean, I was comfortable that, you know, my band members were, you know, they were they were acting smartly yeah um sure you know they're they're not you know yes. sort of like anti-vaxxers <laughs> or anything yeah, like that yeah, i yeah, mean I obviously know. this was pre-vaccines but you know being careful with masking and and stuff like that so so we were all comfortable enough to get together and then at that point i was like well you know my pedal steel player can come over and you know record pedal steel parts and you know slide guitar and all the other stuff that he he put on so um so then it, it sort of picked back up and then milk boy fortunately started opening you know it opened back up so we could kind of start the mixing process again and then so you know a sort of late call it 2020 um it it, it got going back okay and then and then you know
0: yeah the um so you you guys uh released this album uh the end of october um what is what is the reaction to it been? Um
1: Um I mean it's you know, the people who have heard it really like it. You know, yeah, the, me obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with it. Obviously <laughs> trying to trying to get people to listen to it is is the challenge. Um you know, I mean I'm not, our first EP, Miners Rebellion, you know, we, we did get, you know, we got reviews, we we got write-ups in No Depression. We got, you know, airplay on a lot of these sort of like internet radio stations that were focused on Americana um, music. You know, we got, we got, a, uh, I mean, we definitely got like a lot of UK interest. Really? There seems to oh, be okay. kind of a big interest in Americana music and, and US Americana music over there. So, you know, a couple, we got, some radio shows and and write-ups and blogs and and things like that and that were based in the UK. Um so so we had a little bit of, you know, a base, but I'm not going to tell you like, you know, we sold thousands and thousands of CDs. We didn't. Um I still have plenty of boxes that, you know, I'm happy to send you one if you want. Um and um and so so but you know, I can see just like even like our our Spotify plays, you know, like for us, they're way up compared yeah. to where we were, you know, um, you know, and, and, you know, just, just that, that type of thing. So, you know, I think people are listening to it, you know, we've started to, you know, we got played on, um, Dan Reed's, um, Americana Music Hour a couple weeks ago. Um, so, you know, th- those are the types of things that we're really trying to, you know, we've had, we've had some press, some good press, um. So, you know, we're, we're sort of trying to continue to get it out there, get the word out. I mean, the other big thing for us is I decided to put this out on vinyl. Um, oh, very nice. Which is a whole nother issue with, with the pandemic. Um, oh, sure. Uh, and the vinyl, of course, we had a we had our record release show on the October 29th with, with no records because they hadn't come in yet. Oh, no. Um, so, but they have actually been pressed, pressed in Canada and uh, they've been shipped, although I have not gotten them yet. and oh I, no, I, I, I check the it looks like they're stuck somewhere in Canada at this point, so i'm hoping, hoping, hoping to get them in the next week or so. yeah we have pre- we actually have pre-orders for them, um, you know, on bandcamp and and so um, you know I'm, I'm, I'm a big vinyl consumer myself so same
0: same um you guys um regularly uh, you're you're about to do the the uh sixth uh benefit at the world cafe yes. live right um right. for for breast cancer which you know obviously plays into um your 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 wife uh surviving uh breast nice. cancer right we're still good there i believe yeah. right yes. yeah okay, yes, thank yeah. god Thanks thank for god asking. yeah yes thank um to, to, you know um without you is is a is a beautiful song and a, a beautiful sentiment um, with as much as you want to share. Tell me a little bit about kind of that process of kind of putting that to music like that's uh... yeah
1: yeah um, yeah, so I, you know as you said i I do write songs you know that are personal um, and I've known my wife since fourth grade. Um, Oh, my God. That's beautiful. We went to high school together. Um, We didn't date in high school. But, you know, we we started dating right after high school and then got married. So I've known her, you know, forever. And, you know, when she was diagnosed and she told me, obviously, it was, you know, all I could think about was like, I'm, you know, I don't want to lose you. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, you know, I was caught early and and, um, you know, and and she she's fine. Um, But. You know, one of the ways I think I've, you know, I deal with certain situations and I have other songs, you know, that are like this, where there's a, you know, something, maybe it's upsetting or or there's a loss or something is I, you know, I, I end up writing a song about it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's just my own way of dealing with these issues or healing or whatever you want to call it. Um, So, you know, I I just kind of started writing a song about it and you know, it kind of just c- came together. It wasn't like, I'm going to write a song about, right. You know, it's just like, you know, I was writing songs and I'm like, you know, starting to think about it. And then like the lyrics kind of just started to flow. Um, and I'm, I'm generally a music, you know, like, like I said, I didn't always front a band and write songs. I wrote music though for tornado five. And so I'm, all, I'm, I'm a music first writer. Um, You know, come up with a musical idea and then start to think about, you know, the vocal line and then, and then usually lyrics are the last thing. Um, I think this one kind of all just sort of, you know, I sort of think about the lyrics and then I'm like playing my acoustic and it's like, "Mm, you know, this guy, you know, and, and it just kind of all flowed together.
0: Yeah, I, like I said, it's it, it's an absolutely beautiful song, and you. um, you know, uh, it, I I think it's made more beautiful by the fact that there is a happy ending to the story. You know, um, yeah, the, um, that's it, it, it's it's tough, and um, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm I'm glad I'm glad I'm very glad that worked out. Um, not just for a beautiful song, but also you know, yeah, for someone you knew your whole life. That's, that's... thanks.
1: I mean, the 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 one thing about that song and and when I started writing you know, sort of song descriptions, you know, just for whoever, like reviewers or radio, like, you know, the first thing I wrote is, this is not a COVID song because like right. it's coming out, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, without you, right? And then the other thing I noticed, and, and I think this was maybe in another interview, is that there's only one line in the whole song that you actually know what it's about or that you you don't even know that it's about breast cancer because there's nothing right, there Right. but there's one line that says you know when I heard that you got sick everything else just talks about just not being it could be yeah. about like a divorce for all anybody knows so so I guess I don't know if that's clever or <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know but but I, I kind of like ah oh, that that's actually kind of cool um, you know not intentional but um, yeah it makes it makes it very relatable um,
0: because it's not about actual. So, you know, it's not about the illness or about um that it's it's literally about the love and and you know the fear of losing that person uh, right. to, to whatever It doesn't matter what takes that person away like just the 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 absence of you know your. Friends since fourth grade. That's like, you know, that's it's it's uh, I I absolutely love that song. Um, you know, there's and and there's you know, like, like I kind of touched upon earlier, there's a lot of like heavy stuff on here. You know, uh, Natalie dealing with your grandmother's dementia and um, the the day the drummer died. I mean, like, this is this is just a lot of a lot of really heavy stuff, and um, you know, not to Low smoke or anything but mm-hmm. I, I believe you handle it well and you and you and you kind of capture um those emotions very well um is it, do you have any issues i i, I don't know if "issues" is the right word but um uh, when you're playing them live um kind of what's that like like you know are you able to kind of disconnect from the emotions behind them to perform them or
1: yeah yeah i mean i, I don't I, I you know i don't say i get emotional i mean definitely like you know without you is is you know is a song that, you know, I my wife loves that song. And, you know, so, you know, and when we play it at like the breast cancer benefit, it even has more like meaning to it. So, so, you know, there's a little of that sometimes playing, you know, I play Natalie and then, you know, if, if, you know, my sister, or my, you know, somebody or, you know, that, that knew my grandmother, you know, is in the audience, you know, I'll, obviously give them you know sort of acknowledge them in the song but you know it doesn't you know it doesn't like yeah Come, i don't think it comes out like for me you know um you know once i'm once i'm sort of singing the song i'm just trying to perform it yeah as best as i can yeah try and sing on key is is really (laughs) my, my, my whole whole goal so (laughs) <laughs> yeah
0: what um so 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 what's next i mean you have the album obviously you're still awaiting the vinyl. but um right. uh, uh what are you do you have any like holiday shows um other than the benefit no we general? don't
1: we don't have anything till um till our benefit on january 8th um and then we've already started to book some shows into into next year um so
0: um, or, or we're not going to have to wait another decade in between releases, uh, are uh, we? Or,
1: no, I uh, don't know. I mean, the one. <laughs> so the other thing about McGunner Cook is, and you know, I talked about the one song that went back to two thousand eight. McGunner Cook is everything, every original that we hadn't recorded yet. Okay. Um, you know. So and and I kind of gave myself this ultimatum, which is. Until we finish this album, I'm not writing another song because oh, I don't okay. want to. I don't want to be in the middle of this album and then I write a song and I'm like, hmm, maybe we should put this on the album. Maybe we should add this. Like I just, I wanted to get this out of the way, so I okay. feel like the slate's clean. And then, and then you know, I have been starting to think about writing songs again. So, you know, and and I I don't like, you know, I don't sit down and be like, oh, I'm going to write a song. I just you know, I start to noodle and come up with ideas and then like, and then I kind of get into something and then I'm like, all right, let me, you know, I I record demos myself typically. So um, because the band doesn't play that much and we don't rehearse a ton, it's hard to kind of just like bring in ideas and work them up. It's easier for me to say, all right, here's the idea for the song. You know, I record it, you know, maybe like, put program drums on it and record bass and everything and, and be like, here's the song. Yeah. You know, now we'll take this. It's a, we're going to do a cover of this song. You know, you're going to, you're going to kind of write your, you know, come up with your own parts around, but this is the idea. Um, But you know, the the songs do evolve. You talk about without you. um, I went back and listened to the demo of that. And like, it's all electric. It's the, you know, without you as recorded, it sort of builds up. It was just like start to finish. There's a lot of like country licks in, yeah. in the demo that I did. So, so, you know, the, the song changed, you know, in, in how it sounds. I mean, it was in, it was in a different key. Um, Cause I realized that when I recorded it, like when I was going to sing it live, it was going to be too low. Oh um, yeah. So that kind of thing. So very cool very cool
0: well um at this time would you like to uh, partake in the jauntlet these are sure, um,
1: sure. i i i did i i am um, i heard about this so
0: <laughs> excellent
1: excellent all right so uh the first part
0: of the jauntlet is the one hit wonders this is our versus category uh one hit right. wonder number one billy joel or elton john elton john very nice that, very that's nice. An easy
1: easy one for me and there's pedal steel in a lot of Elton John songs which people that's, don't realize.
0: Yeah, sure, certainly. <laughs> uh, uh number 2, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett?
1: Uh Debbie Harry. Yeah. Big big, big Blondie fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, uh, I like uh, Joan Jett but um you know I was a big you know very into Parallel Lines and Yep. Um you know Yeah.
0: We um we just saw them um at the uh, exponential music festival. What is that two years ago, I guess. And they oh, still really? got it, man. They still yeah.
1: yeah I saw them at the Keswick, I mean it was probably about four or five years ago, but yeah, they still still sounded really good. Yeah. I mean, obviously you write great songs. So
0: Yeah. Uh number three, uh Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner?
1: Uh Aretha. Yeah. She's, she's probably one of my favorite female yeah. singers. So yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, just, what a powerhouse. I mean, like just yeah.
1: unbelievable,
0: unbelievable. Uh, next one, Nirvana or Pearl Jam?
1: Uh, definitely Nirvana. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think obviously what the impact that they had, um, you know, on, on music. Um, I mean, I like Pearl Jam, but I'm not a huge Pearl Jam fan. I mean, okay. I, I did, I did see them live. I didn't, I never saw Levant, Nirvana live, but,
0: um. Yeah. So you weren't at that Dobbs show? Come on. That I is, uh... was
1: not at that Dobbs show. That was, that was one of the few. And I probably was like, who, who, who are you opening for? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: next one, Janis Joplin or Stevie
1: Nicks? Stevie Nicks. I kind of guessed that. I, I you yeah. know. Uh, but I, was... I, I love Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks. I mean, I talk about Aretha. She, I, she's also probably one of my top favorite female singers. I just like her, her voice and how, how it works and, you know
0: yeah she she has perfected that instrument you know that is uh that is a fantastic voice uh the big one Beatles or stones
1: um well i talked about the Beatles influence uh, yeah you know I, i and again i i like the stones a lot um but you know and and i'm I don't know if you're watching. Get back, like everybody else.
0: I haven't watched it yet. I, I want to be able to dedicate um, a, an entire day to be able to watch the whole thing in well, one. Well, you sitting. need a, yeah,
1: you need an entire day. Um, but yeah, they're you know just what they to me what they did to music and you know the output that they had in such a short amount of time and how even how their whole sound evolved. Yeah, and that I mean it's just amazing. Like nobody could ever, you know, and also. You know, I mean, every, every band has their, their duds, I guess, but everybody, you know, says, oh, you know, the Stones are the greatest band. I said, yeah, but they, they also did Emotional Rescue. (laughs) (laughs) which is very true
0: which is very true you know um the thing about the beatles and i wanted to uh like if i ever if, if say this thing blows up all right and and i know this is a this is a pipe dream but if this were to blow up and i were to be able to interview um paul mccartney my question would be um all of us as musicians um were able to be um to create music um with the inspiration of the beatles um so um Being that you are Paul McCartney of the Beatles, like how heavy does that weigh (laughs) on you? You know what I mean? Like, that's like, like, that's gotta be like, oh, every, you know, uh, something I did. Like, if I thought about the fact that something I did when I was in my 20s influenced um, music, like not just a band or something like that, but literally changed the landscape of music, I don't know. I don't know that I would ever be able to um, rationalize that in
1: my brain, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, 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 that is, that is pretty heavy to think about.
0: Right. Like but, <laughs> how do you continue to make music knowing that
1: you broke it and reformed it, you know? Like, right. Well, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's- I know. And, you know, that obviously people have their opinions sort of post Beatles, you know, about things, but um yeah, I mean, you know, it, what they were able to do, you know, that, that group and that, you know, obviously particularly the, the, the duo of, Lennon and McCartney, I mean, really, you know, is amazing. And nobody's, you know, I don't care how many albums somebody sells or whatever. Like, it's, yeah. it's really irrelevant. I mean, nobody's come kind of close to no. what they were able to do from, you know, from a musical standpoint and also just from a, an influence standpoint. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely.
0: Uh, last one of the one hit wonders, Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven?
1: That's a tough one, but I, I'm going to go with Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, I go back to my AM radio, 70s days. I remember that one coming on, you know, and, and another like, you know, bizarre one, right? Like a what yeah. it, six minute song or whatever. And, you know, with, with all these like operatic voices and things like that. So, um, obviously like Stairway to Heaven was like the song I had to learn to play on guitar. Sure. Sure. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: Very nice. Very nice. All right. So that's the one hit wonders. Now the top 10 countdown. Uh, when I use John here, it can be music. It can be anything you want it to be. It doesn't have to right. be music. Um, so, you know, you're, you're from the area, you know, John can be
1: whatever you want it to right, be. Right.
0: Yep. <laughs> so, uh, number one, what was your first John? What was the first thing you were obsessed with when you were younger?
1: Um, well, I'll say with the Beatles. Um, yeah. And, yeah, you know, um, They definitely had the biggest influence. Like the first, I remember the first album I got was a Beatles album. I think it was like the greatest hits, The Blue. There was like a blue and a red one. The blue and the red, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, and the other thing, I I remember being, and this was probably in like third grade or something. There was, um, in, in school, there was a classmate of mine who was a huge Beatles fan and we would do these little performances where we like took tennis rackets and we pretended to be the Beatles and use the tennis rackets as guitars and things like that. So th- that was, you know, they just had that big influence on me. Um, so I, I would definitely say that that was qu- kind of like the first, you know, big influence musically for me. Yeah. Um, and, and it's obviously stayed with me. So I think that that's, that's important.
0: Absolutely. Uh, number two, what's your current, John? What are you into right now?
1: Um, so I would, I would say pedal steel guitar. Um, yeah. I've been learning to play. Um, that was going to be f- my question. <laughs> for a few years. So, um, and it's a pretty intensive instrument and, and I really love it. I, I, I learned to, to play because, um, for a couple reasons. One is at one point we didn't have a pedal steel guitar player and a lap steel player, but he lived in Allentown and he was he played some pedal steel, so I decided to buy a pedal steel so that when he came to rehearse, like there would be a pedal steel here. And I uh, so said, and by the way, since I bought this thing, I'm gonna start to try and learn how to play. And the other reason I wanted to learn how to play is so that I could when I had a pedal steel player, I could actually communicate with them and and understand what they were doing. And instead of saying, you know, I want one of these, you know, (laughs) you know, Hey, you know, why don't you do that? Like, you know, a, a pedal rolling on the B pedal lick there, you know, picking these strings, you know? So like I, I I can kind of have, you know, have a better rapport with, with the steel player. Um, Sure. And then it's just, I got, I kind of got smitten with it and spent a lot of time. It's, you know, it's a hard instrument I mean you're using your knees your feet your hands um but you know I, I don't think it's as impossible as people think really the hard thing for me is it's very theory driven like you have to and it's very it's a real jam instrument like like I've never I've always been like a writer and a part writer you know I'm not like a guy that's gonna sit there and like wail on guitar in a jam like I'll play like end up playing like the same three licks and scales over and over again, yeah, like on the fly. Um And pedal steel is like one of these things where you got to kind of come up with things, you got to think a step ahead. Um, so you have to have a good, you know, understanding. So it's, it's helped me kind of become a better musician as well. Um But yeah, I've, I've really been just sort of, you know, when, when I, when I'm not working with the band, you know, and I'm coming down to my basement to do music, I'm sitting on the pedal steel guitar.
0: That's awesome. Are you, um, do you, have you, are you familiar with, and I I can already hear people who listen to this show rolling their eyes at me, but are you familiar with... um, uh, the Mike Nesmith solo material, yeah. Mike Nesmith and the Monkees, because yeah. um, I forget his name. I want to say it's like Red Rhodes or something like that. Uh, the pedal steel player during the first national band stuff is just cosmically brilliant. And um, like I, I, in the past few years um, it's been something that I've gravitated to, but I haven't like taken the deep dive into yeah. trying to figure yeah, out. I
1: don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No. I mean, I, I've heard some of that stuff. I don't know exactly who the steel player is. I did, by the way, though, get one pedal steel credit on the, on Cook. So, Very
0: nice. Um, Very
1: nice. I did, you know, I, I, I am competent enough that I could record. It was something where it was just in one segment and it was more in the background. And I took a stab at it and my pedal steel player, you know, I said, Hey, you know, here's what I did. If you want to, if you, you know, if you think it stinks, let me know. He's like, no, it sounds fine. Like, Oh, that's cool. Just keep it. So, <laughs> Very cool. Uh, number three, what was your first concert? Uh, First, Concert was The Who with the Clash mm. opening at JFK oh. Stadium. What a perfect first concert! That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. 1982, I think it was. Yeah,
0: unbelievable. Uh, number four, what was your last concert?
1: Uh, I saw Hayes Carl, you know him? Yes, uh, he played at Ardmore a few weeks ago. Okay, music hall. Yeah, awesome. So uh, it's great to I hadn't it's great. seen him. I hadn't seen him live. I've always liked him, it's one of those things he comes into town and. Like had a conflict every time and and then uh, end up going. he was great. I was yeah. really glad, glad it's,
0: went, so. it's great to be out with live music again, like i, I really missed it, and uh, I didn't realize how much I missed it until it was gone, you know like uh, yeah it's, yeah, it's so great. Um, number uh five, what was your favorite concert you ever went to? uh
1: that's That's a pretty hard one. Um, i think I think I'm going to have to go with two. That's so, fine, sure. <laughs> uh, the f- The first one was um, Pavement did a reunion tour. Um, I don't know; it must have been like nine or ten years ago, and they played at the Man, and somehow I got like second row seats. I've never wow. been really that close to the stage uh, in a big. I am not a bigger like arena show guy. I'd much rather go, you know, to something that's you know a theater like three thousand seats or lower. Sure. Um, but, um, you know, I was being that close and I really liked that band and just, I mean, that was a great experience. I think the other, the other one I will say, um, and this was more of like, just one of those like experiences was, um, saw drive by truckers, um, nice. in 2016, right. The night after the election. Oh, wow. Um, and that was a surreal moment i mean it was just it was one of those things like almost i mean myself you know probably giving away my political leanings, and a and a lot of other people like i wasn't sure if i even wanted to go yeah and and i decided to go and then i saw some people and they were just awesome i mean it was like you know they felt the same way yep and and it was just like this it was almost like a, a healing kind of thing and you know, they were telling some stories about some, some things like in Alabama that you could kind of relate to. Like, and, and it was just, it was just one of those, like, you know, above just like a musical performance. Yeah. It was just a surreal kind of, and, and I've seen, you know, drive by Truckers since then and Patterson hood solo. And they like constantly, I always talk about that show and they're in Philly.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah. uh, Um. Uh, not to um, also betray my own uh, leanings, but uh, I, uh, I I went into a little bit of a mental uh, fog following that election. Uh, not to sound like some fragile snowflake or whatever anybody wants to throw barbs or (laughs) whatever but um i'm I'm, I'm like a big podcast listener obviously Uh, this probably will give that away by having one of my own um but i couldn't listen to anybody talk about anything and music is literally the only thing that got me through uh that period was um and and i and i leaned heavy on the grateful dead and i'm not even Uh like deadhead or anything like that but for some reason it just uh, it resonated and was what i needed so um number six who have you never seen live that you always wanted to they
1: can be living or dead well he, he wasn't from what i've heard he wasn't great live but i would have loved seen graham parsons
0: oh my god yeah we um an earlier episode I, I i talked to somebody about this but like uh finding graham parsons was like um finding the key uh, to an attic full of everything that I always wanted to play with. Um, right. It was like right. uh, he, he 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 was just so so perfect. Um, I'm actually going to. Uh, I don't know if you heard this. I, I mentioned this in two other episodes, and and and, and uh, only special people get to have this conversation. Um, have you heard the conspiracy theory that Graham Parsons wrote um, Wild Horses and just gave it to um, Mick and Keith? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's a conspiracy, but. Um, I mean, there's definitely like a lot of people that believe that. I mean, I, I actually believe that. I, think, I do because, too. Because if you list, you know, obviously Flying Burrito Brothers recorded it first. Right. Um, if you, you know, if you listen to that song, I mean, obviously he's hanging out with with the Stones during that whole period, um, you know, and, and influencing just like he did with the birds. Right. Right. Yeah, like their sound to move into like country, um, you know, I, I mean, and you can see like, obviously, the stones have all the cachet and they'll be like, you know, he, you know, he and maybe Keith wrote the song together and, you know, and, and they didn't give him any credit for right, it. You right, see them being like, well, we're going to record the song, but you you can go and record it first but you know we're, we'll we'll take we'll the take publishing the songwriting. yeah
0: yeah it's crazy yeah. it's crazy and just a beautiful song too i mean like you
1: yeah. know, like just
0: that's that's another one that's just got the really good feels in it the really good feels number seven uh name an unappreciated john name something you wish had more exposure to it
1: well if i would go to with an artist like i could just stay with grant parsons stay with grant parsons <laughs> i like it i mean i mean i you know again you know we talked about the beatles but like you know, and I. It sounds like obviously you're you're a fan as well. I don't yeah. know if you've read any of the you know biographies on him. Or I have not. Oh, you should. There's there's like two or three really good ones. Yeah, and and a lot of it's overlap, but um, like Ben Fong Torres uh, wrote that one was the
0: one. And, it's it's been sitting in my wish list in my Amazon. Yeah.
1: Uh- <laughs> um and um, but there's another guy like if you you look at like his span of when he was like in music and all the things that he touched during that period like it's amazing like you know he's you know somehow he gets himself and he's in the birds you know right and then, like you know he's like in the bank and he's like bumping into Crosby you know in line and and then you know and then he's like you know and a lot and then he's you know discover I mean, he didn't discover, but he broke Emmy Lou Harris, you know, and then, like, you know, and then his influence keeps going, going. I mean, he didn't sell that many records, right? Yeah, sure. You know, so, um, I mean, you know, I don't know that nobody knows about him. I mean, a lot of people know about him, but I just feel like, um, I don't know, you know, Keith Richards, you talk about the Stones. Keith Richards, I don't, did you read his, his, autobiography I made it
0: most of the way through I do not put it along. but he yeah. he has
1: a he has a segment on Graham and you know he said other than John Lennon he's like the one guy that he's ever met that just like had that like magic
0: to yeah him,
1: like from a from a like just musically and and everything else so you know he he put him in on the same level as Lennon as Lennon which that's says, unbelievable says
0: yeah <laughs> um i i talked to i don't know if you're familiar with michael mcdermott he was on a few episodes ago and uh he said that he met um one of the guys who uh made uh the nudie suits um back in the day mm-hmm. um and he said uh that guy used to always tell him that um he helped um uh burn graham's body <laughs> in the oh desert. that yeah
1: did you ever see that terrible movie, by the way? No, uh, I, I stayed far away from it. Uh,
0: it. I saw Johnny Knoxville in the lineup, and I was like, I think I can pass on this one. But, uh, number nine, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release, even if you need to
1: be apologetic for it. Um, Well, Sunvolt. I'll, oh, I'll yes. Buy. I, I mean, I used to be that way with R.E.M., <laughs> but I got to a point where I was like, there's like one song on this album I think yeah. I might like. And, um, and I think also, um, probably Jason Isbell. Is another okay. Pe- yeah. Another person. Definitely. Um, yeah.
0: Um, okay. The 10th and final of the top 10 countdown. What is your favorite John of all time?
1: Um, so for this one, I'm going to, I'm going to go away from music a little but tie it to, uh, Magonicuk, which is Maine, the state, um, So McGonacook is a lake um, in Maine. Um, I've been going to Maine um, in the summers. My parents had a summer house um, in that area where McGonacook is. And we, we go up there and, and I just always had this, like tie to the state and and my wife loves it. And so like that to me is like, like, that's just like my place. Like I just, you know, look forward to it. And, um, you know, again, I, yeah, you know, I named the album after sure. a Lake. Actually, there's a song on the EP called Norton's Pond, which is which is actually about the pond where my my parents' house was, and and actually, that actually feeds into McGonaguck Lake. So it's like you know that's my.
0: There's my, a symbolism my, there of how that EP fed into the uh, into the yeah, album yeah. as well.
1: I like it. I like yeah, it. That's- yeah, yeah. I, I I there is that tie. I mean, um, you know. It, the the name of the album is interesting um i was i was thinking between that and leaving for ohio which is one of the songs mm-hmm. on the it's the second song of the album and when i was i engaged a graphic artist to to do the cover um uh jimmy everhart i don't know if you know him no. He's a local musician he he fronts a band called cosmic guild um, oh okay he, he used to be the guitar player i think for loka Kani. um and so i said well here's the two names i'm considering for the album cover he's like he's like oh McGonacook. he's like i've been there no way so i was like oh okay i was like <laughs> so i was like all right it's karma what Let that yeah that. So. wow you
0: you gotta you gotta take that sign yeah absolutely yeah yeah. unbelievable all right so if these uh folks good folks want to find uh more out about uh the miners where can they find you on the uh on the internet
1: yeah well so we have a website minersmusic.com which is you know has links to everything um our social media everything is the miners pa okay um because there are and it's ers not ors um so um you know facebook instagram twitter uh I think YouTube might be the miners. PA. I think the YouTube YouTube is also miners PA, as far as I can tell. But um, there are there are we do bump into a couple other miners out there. Um, I, there wasn't one when we started the name, and we searched the internet, we could find no other miners. So, um, and and it only sometimes it gets confusing because sometimes, like when we release something, you know, like the distributors end up like putting it associated with the wrong band so i
0: oh yeah
1: you know and you can't talk to anybody right, right. so you're like yeah. sending them emails and then six months later it gets worked out but but for like the major ones like um spotify and and apple music um that's you know there's only our stuff that's a yeah to our, so. um
0: after i started this uh podcast uh, a friend of mine sent me a link it was way after um, so uh, I know I was first uh, I actually went and did the research But there's a, uh, a there's a That's my John podcast and, uh, really. and it started after this And that made me furious um, But not as mad as sitting there Thanksgiving morning Watching the Macy's Day Parade And there's a commercial for Jimmy Fallon's new TV show That's my jam And I was really? like, no! No, Jimmy Fallon. No,
1: um, I'm still still. Well, the other but... is the other one with the John in it. Is that Philly based? It is
0: a Philly guy, yeah. Okay. And I think he only did like two or three episodes. Right. In it. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about him. I checked his Facebook so, page out, and, and if he wants to talk to me, you know, we can talk, but uh. Yeah. <laughs> well thank you so much for doing this um, it's been uh, uh, all completely my pleasure um, and, and I love this album and I, I thank you not just for um, making that music but also for coming on the show and talking to me about it
1: and I had a great time I'm glad you enjoyed the album um, and keep doing what you're doing and um, you know maybe we'll see each other to show or something sometime since it sounds like we got a lot of the same interests musically
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Many thanks again to Keith Marlowe for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to catch Keith and his band The Miners on Saturday, January 8th at the World Cafe Live for the 6th annual Living Beyond Breast Cancer benefit at 8 p.m. And you can find more about The Miners on their website at www.minersmusic.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash theminerspa, and on Instagram and Twitter at theminerspa. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. We're everywhere. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, blah, blah, blah. If they have podcasts, we are there. Subscribe! And of course, if you're trying to earn yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world, you can do so just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at yo that's my John and search yo that's my John on YouTube to find the yo that's my John YouTube channel. And then, you know, while you're there, like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out. Reach out and touch some John. Well, that's all I got for you this week, and I hope you enjoyed it. Do you think it was better than That's My Jam? You can be honest. Uh, Actually, you know what? Please don't. Please don't be honest. Lie to me. Tell me I'm pretty. Tell me I'm prettier than Jimmy Fallon, please. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Yo, displace the guilt Yo, that's my John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly Nate Runkel. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkel, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at myjohn at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, Yo, that's my John.